There's more to ease. Financial District Home Office. Now that's it. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered what became of Joe and me. We're living on the Eric Carnival Personnel. Carnival Personal Podcast CPP. Listen to Jacques and Comparant Yapping. While Joe can quote a movie line by line. They may have no idea what they're talking about. But all in all, they still sound pretty fine. It's Carnival Personnel, the CP What makes a presentation good? I got some data, I looked into this and, and, and read some, some information, some surveys they took of people that attend a lot of presentations. And it turns out that style makes up 40% of what people seem to think is a good presentation. There's 50% associated with fluff, and then 10% is content. So. By the fact that my presentation is all style and fluff and no content, I hit 90% of what people believe makes a good presentation. Another thing I want to point out, when you look at this pie chart, this makes the letter Y for yes to hiring me. Hello, and welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow. I'm Jacques. I'm not Biff. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that lovely gentleman is Joe. And a couple weeks ago, uh, Joe came to uh, one of my shows. It was another one of those Lunar Theater Mondo Comedy shows with the Prince of Man, uh, Greg Bogus. And the day before, Greg said, hey, there's something that the guy who was going to headline can't make it. But we got this guy. He's incredibly funny. And it was one of the better nights out seeing comedy i think that you and i've had a long time joe absolutely yes i um, i was like oh god i gotta see another one of jacques stupid shows <laughs> tells the same goddamn jokes yes haha ha, very funny fake laughter fake laughter oh a real comic oh my god greg <laughs> well, said other guys also way funny I'm like yeah sure you gotta like last minute fill in uh, and uh, yeah, he's awesomely funny. Sure. <laughs> and, and that last minute fill in guy will be today's guest. So thank you for joining us, Brian. Uh, Brian Longwell. He has a first and last name. You know, hey, I was going to piecemeal it out. If we give away all the information at once, <laughs> then they could click away. They'll go find him online and they won't listen to us, Joe. Come on. You know, this is why I don't run the Twitter. <laughs> this is why I don't run any social media. I don't know how to market. When Greg called me and he said, hey, we got, we're switching up, and he sent me, Brian, it's like the screen grab, and he said he's a the corporate comic. And I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, what the hell is that? It, it, what the hell is that indeed? And I'm thinking, okay, most of the comics that we've had on, they do comedy shows locally, the headline, this VFW, this Knights of Columbus, this show at Nick's or Laugh Boston, but their real bread and butter is doing cruises and doing corporate comedy gigs. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, this is a guy who specializes in corporate comedy. And I don't want to give away the whole kit and caboodle, but it was hands down the best corporate comedy show I've ever seen. <laughs> so how many have you seen? Oh, there's, I, I actually have a friend who I just had to write some stuff for who he's not a comic, but he was an MC of a town hall for, he worked for Sony. Yeah. And he had all these guidelines for like jokes. I could like help him put together. You can't make fun of the company at all. And, right. it, and it's funny. His first thing is he's not a big public speaker, but he's like, I know you're supposed to start with a joke, but these aren't funny people and there's so many things i can't say so yes uh as you pointed out hr would have many talks with them but let's let's brian let's take a step back uh you've been in comedy for a while but you you didn't start down the path of being a comic you were a, a real person from a real town not like hollywood or or a comedy mecca like boston uh, upstate new york and you did the crazy thing of going to college in the 70s 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just what you said reminds me of like back when Catch a Rising Star was in Cambridge, and I remember like talking to some of the waitresses there back in like the the late eighties and early nineties, and I talked to them and said, "Oh wait, you're a real person." <laughs> 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 right. You know, it, it, it is different because like we were just talking before we recorded. Yeah. In L.A., everybody out there, it doesn't matter if it's the, the janitor or the waiter or the guy driving the bus. Everybody has a script that they're waiting to 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 hand you. Uh, and sometimes they're, they're great. But your path to comedy didn't seem like a straight line. Uh, or, 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 or did you always do comedy along the way while you were going through college? No, I did it. I did the responsible thing. I mean, I was a late bloomer and everything. So I did all the responsible thing. I mean, I came from like, uh, as part of New York State, there's basically Appalachia. And I was part of, you know, family, as I think I pointed out, of like eight kids. My father was a bricklayer. And so it was like this, like, you know, you uh, get a job, you buy a house and all that. So there I was in the early 80s. I was married. I had a you know, mortgage, I had the good job, I had the degree, I was a father, and uh, then, you know, it's like a place, like, I need, there needs to be something else, I'm not done, and then I started uh, doing uh, open mic comedy, you know, back, but, but think it was like a great time, that was like 1985, and the reason, how I got into it, I was driving to work one day, and I turned on the radio and I was living in New Hampshire and I drive over the border into, to uh, North Andover, Massachusetts. I work for Bell Laboratories that was over in North Andover. And I happened to hit this radio station and say, hey, we have a monthly comedy show and uh, we're going to do a contest. Send in a videotape of you being funny and we're going to pick the five funniest people to be on the beginning of a real comedy show. And uh, that's how I did the first time ever doing comedy i'd never been to a live comedy show in my life at that point so i go down my basement and i tell this story about in you know adopting my daughter and all that and uh, and i was like because i like i couldn't imagine showing up to an open mic or whatever and saying i'd like to try to do this that's like no i i just couldn't bring myself to do something but it's like this way i can't be there for the rejection it was awesome and so i sent the videotape in and then, you know, about like a week or two later, the radio station called me up and said, oh, my God, your, your tape was hilarious. We were we were cracking up at it. So you're going to be on it. So first time I do live comedy is the first time I see live comedy is to be in the show. And then when I get there, they tell me I'm going on first. So the oh. first time I get to see live comedy is to be in front of the audience. <laughs> Holy crap. So you didn't even get to like sit there and kind of figure out what, what, how to pace or how to, I mean, in the eighties, I'm guessing at least you were watching all the HBO specials of comedy and, and kind of, you know, did you have, when you, when you did your first comedy, was there a comic that you liked that when you were writing or when you were t telling your jokes, when you were rehearsing that you maybe had their voice in your head that like, Hey, I can kind of, be like this guy or like this guy or was it a complete i'm just my own voice type thing well i think it's a mixture of both because the stories that were funny was like i was telling people about like you know uh the adoption of my daughter my daughter's adopted from korea and i was telling people i'd be at parties and i was like oh yeah i went to see this uh you know this doctor who checked out my nuts and i say like, what and then he grabbed my nuts and pulled them on my face and like and people are cracking up and telling us whole story about where I'm getting checked out and uh for that and that that was like the basis of it there were some other things around that but but I I would have to say Stephen Wright was like somebody who just like really it's like wow you don't have to be a Don Rickles there's this other thing that you can be you know of course I'm somewhere else now but at least I, I felt like you didn't have to be that like go out and just Go and, uh, you know, rip everybody in the audience a new asshole, you know. I mean, so so you have a regular job. Did you tell coworkers, hey, I'm doing this comedy thing, come see me? Or did you just kind of, hey, let me, let me see if I'm going to pee my pants first before I bring people? Or did you push all the chips in? Oh, okay. This is 
sort of like a like a, a French movie with a like a horrible ending. Um, so, so, so I go up and I do the first show and I, I do five minutes and, you know, people are chuckling. They're not like, I'm not killing, but I go up as the opening act. First time I've ever been on stage ever. And it's like, people are, are laughing, you know, not, they're not killing, but it went well. And then the, the, the management of the place who should not be making these decisions. That's why you have a booker <laughs> that knows what they're doing. They're like, hey, why don't you come back next month? Do 20 minutes. It will pay you $50. I'm like, holy shit, I'm there. I'm a professional comedian. So the next month I go out and I start like, I got to write some new jokes. I got to go write some new jokes. And then it's everybody at work was it that I was working at Bell Laboratories, which is a large place. We had the early version of internet bulletin boards and everything. So it was posted like, hey, he's gonna uh, one good friend of mine showed up with his wife and they said it really went well and that I'm gonna be doing it again. And so huge number of people showed up that night. I think it's the large no, it is the largest number of people that I personally knew showed up that night to see me do comedy and never since has so many people that I personally know have come out to see me do comedy. <laughs> they watch me suck my own oh. in front of them with 20 minutes of untested material. It was Scary. Tough crowd. You know, it, it's funny. No, 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 it's not a tough crowd. It was like shitty jokes. <laughs> Always blame the crowd. Always, Always blame the crowd. You got to write new jokes. You're doing another show. You write new jokes. You write. You know, it's funny because uh, Steve Bjork told in a similar story where he's like, and he had a theory about it. And he's like, a a most people are so ready for their first show. They practice or practice, they go and they do well. And they're like, I can do this. Their next show, they bring everybody to see them. And they're like, oh, and he said, and, and he said, that's exactly what happened to him. And I think he said 10 years later before he went back up, you know, on stage, he sucks so bad. That second show, first show was great. And he was on fire. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't let my wife come to see, I think I probably did maybe 35, 40 mics before I said, okay. Um, it can negatively affect your sex life. Cause there's like a whole thing about like, you know, how, you know, you come across, they see you on stage. It's like, uh, I don't want that DNA. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you send in your tape and you said, maybe I already know the answer to this question because I know you had a starter wife. Was she, what are you doing? Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is another part of it. So we're we're driving to this first show, okay? Me and the, the, my then wife. And then as I'm driving up, I, uh, I say to her, it's like, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be kind of cool if I could like go out and do this like you know once a month do like comedy shows and she says you know <clears throat> you got to be realistic hmm. no you don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. isn't the whole point of getting into comedy is to the many reasons why she's in X Y yeah no I it's uh, you know I I completely I completely get that and it's uh but coworkers I mean so Bell Labs what's funny is I know about how big Bell Labs is because, you know, my, my stepdad, he was a physicist and he worked his entire career at AFCO that became Textron. So I know all of those companies because all of his friends, you know, worked at all of those places. And then it's really funny because did he work at? Was he at like the Murray Hill? He 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 worked at the AFCO right in Everett, like right in Everett off. I want to say the Fellsway, you know, yeah. right, right by Wellington, right by Wellington Station. Probably later 90s then early 80s because we lived in Wilmington early 80s he transferred to the Wilmington plant and then it became Textron Defense Systems at that time I think but it's a target now my mom for decades screamed at my dad to quit because my dad would have people work under him for a couple years leave and then come back as consultants driving much nicer cars and my mom was always like you have to leave and then and, but he liked his job he loved what he did so Bell Labs was huge, and it's even funny because on Miss Maisel, 
That was the big thing. Her father worked for Bell Labs and he loved working for Bell Labs. So you're working at Bell Labs. You got a real job, a real degree. You're making probably decent money for the mid eighties and you're, you're, you're driving with your, you know, your starter wife. And she's like, be realistic. What point do you leave Bell Labs and say, I can do this? Well, actually, uh, the thing is, uh, while I was working at Bell Labs, that's when I was like doing comedy, but I, I loved what I was doing there. It actually, what I ended up leaving Bell Labs uh, for was to start my own company doing, uh, you know, subcontracting of uh, telecom design. <laughs> Which I'm guessing in the 80s was probably the right place in the right time. Uh, it was actually uh, 92 that I started uh, doing that. But the thing is, like, the attraction, part of the attraction to that is like, okay, I have my business. So uh, I have my business. And then, uh, and actually... The, how I was able to fund it was because back in the late 80s, you know, comedy was like, it was crazy. Um, you know, I'd work weekends and come home with more money than I left with. It's like you could be a feature act and you would make, you know, five, six hundred dollars in a weekend. And I'm like putting that in the bank plus my day job. And that's how I got enough capital to start my own company. And I saw an opportunity to do uh, like design services. And I, I liked what I was doing. I loved what I was doing. So I started up a company that uh, designed, you know, circuit boards, telecom, fiber optic communications and microchips and all of that. But it left me the flexibility to disappear for days here and there to go off and do comedy and the comedies at night designing microchips is during the day well that's the amazing thing it's like what year did like the, the phone company get broken up so now there's it went from being one company to a great number of company right as the cell stuff is starting so you were right in that kind of happy place yeah, I was there when it was the monopoly, and then around the mid '80s, it became they did the divestiture, which the time had come, and uh, things started to the baby bell started to form off, and uh, we were still designing stuff. But then the thing is, when I started my company, I was able to do stuff for you know the the splinter parts of the AT and T. I was able to do stuff with with the what would have been the original Bell Labs part. I was able to do stuff for the AT&T long distance part, done stuff for like South, you know, Southern Bell. It's like had all these connections and it, uh, it was kind of fun for a while. Did any of that stuff bleed into your comedy? What was your, what was your comedy at the time? I was doing conventional, you know, comedy, you know, just conventional stuff talking about like, uh, you know, uh, adopting my daughter. There's an advantage of having a Korean child, you know, when she acts up, you can pretend she's not yours. You know. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I will, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, my wife, uh, her dad was from Boston and met her mom while he was working in Korea. So like my Hyundai Santa Fe, my wife was made in Korea. And she's pulled that shit because our boys got 100% my cracker jeans. There's been times when we've been at the playground or something and she'll just scooch to the side and, and just, I don't know who those white devils are. Those are somebody, I don't know, those round eyed kids with blue eyes aren't mine. <laughs> I, I got to reprise this because one time I, I go into uh, a grocery store with- Hi. This one's a son. Um, like, uh, that's the one who I said looks like he's Puerto Rican or something. So, or something that when you said or something, you, you could start writing the chalk outlines of the bodies that absolutely killed people. Dominican, <laughs> but but so she, she like, we're at the grocery store, she sends us off to uh, yeah, they got that because they were there. So, so it's like, she's like, okay, this is when he's like 10 or 11 years old, you know, and she's like, oh, you need to get some stuff for his, 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 his uh, lunch tomorrow. He needs to get some apples or something like senses over there. And this is actually a, 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 a Whole Foods, okay, which I'd never been in before. And, but anyway, there's these neatly stacked 
like apples, just like a little pyramid of apples. And it's just like beautifully displayed and everything. And he goes over, he puts his hand <laughs> at the bottom and he says to me, should I take this one? He thinks he's kidding. So I say yes. And he takes the apple out. They're bouncing off of the Whole Foods floor. I just, I just get the fuck out of there. And and he tells he he, he told her later. This is a true story. That, Very true story. <laughs> he was like Brian. Brian's just, gone. I look around. He just Brian left me. <laughs> oh. They're gonna they're gonna blame the black woman. That's yeah. the only person <laughs> possibly be the parent of this child. <laughs> Not this Irish guy with gray hair. That he's too old to have a child that age anyway. So yeah, that, that's that, brilliant. So now you're doing. Was it? And I gotta ask because it's the '80s. Were, were you doing Dick Doherty shows? Oh. Uh, oh my oh, god wow, wow wow okay well thanks for tuning in that was the that was so brilliant oh uh well i you know there was a there was a thing they they uh adapted uh uh a, 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 a something they used to say about dick nixon that uh, comics used to say about dick doherty is like dick doherty before doherty dicks you oh <laughs> I think Joe's for Joe was 18 when he did his first comedy. I think it was a couple Dick Doherty shows you did, right, Joe? That was like yes. late. And uh, we talked to Jim McHugh recently, and Jim McHugh is telling us when comics were coming up, because all the headliners were all on cocaine in the 80s, that Dick would let you, let you drive to get the headliner, drive the headliner to the show, you would run the door, you would collect the money, you would get to do five minutes. And then the next day you would bring the bag of cash to Dick's house and he'd give you 50 bucks. <laughs> 50 American dollars or Dick bucks. Oh, right, right. He, that was the other thing. He would pay you a Dick bucks. Dick bucks. Dick yeah. bucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I never, fortunately, I was far enough along at the point that Dick Doherty uh, was doing his stuff that I never had to do that. Ooh. But... Um, yeah, I do know about the dick bucks because it was like the boat. He had this thing, the boat. He was like, I got dick bucks. And he was like, hey, I want to get some food. It's like, well, you can have a burger and french fries. What about the other? No, dick bucks are only for burgers <laughs> and fries. But then comics started Xeroxing off dick bucks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I... I but I would like I would do like I would do like a feature act like like in Drake it or something like that for Dick you know and then he'd be like well for another fifty bucks yeah you can yeah close the vault you after the show go down and close the vault you know and I get down there and they would have like you know like five hundred you know open mic comics on and you'd get there and these people were just like they they look like you know immigrants that have been floating on a boat with a <laughs> motor for for you know for months and they're just like somebody please let us out of here and my opening line i would look around the room and i say folks what do you say you each give me you give me a buck each. We'll call the show over right now. Okay? <laughs> just laugh all night to that point. <laughs> oh man! They were with me. He's like, okay, finally. Wow. All right. So now here's the big question: When does the turn come? When do you go from here are my jokes? to an act because I, I have posted the next day on Instagram because I always like post when I get to open for somebody and I you're not a stand-up you know it, it's and I was trying and Joe and I were talking about it is it performance art is it a one-man play is it I, I I equated it to a 30 minute hilarious kids in the hall sketch because they always had these business type sketches like these and they had a couple stuff like that <laughs> Your wife that, agrees. Like, yeah, that, no, I we're watching. And the other thing that I loved is you start off earnest. You're starting off at like a two and the slow build. And there's there's a moment where you can see the audience is like, yeah, I kind of get it to 
I get it. Like, I get it. You're the fumbling buffoon to where you take it. And there's that window where, because I'm watching the room, I'm thinking, he's kind of losing this younger guy here. I I think this is, and then it's a slow build. And, and one by one, everybody gets in the boat for the ride. It's like watching a hilarious Columbo. You know, you think like... <laughs> yes. You think it's going to go it's one way, but then more joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you just and, need the rumpled trench coat and you'll be complete. And it, it, just, just an aside, we just recently listened to a series of audiobooks of uh, a Japanese uh, mystery writer from the 1940s, 30s and 40s. That was clearly the inspiration for Columbo. Oh, okay. oh well, I'm I'm both our other co-host because Joe and I saw you. He lives in L.A. He's from Japan, and I, I wish he was here because he might know the guy. Definitely read his books. I get. I'll look it up while. Uh, yeah, no, I I definitely would look that up. But when when did you make the turn? When did you say? Uh, okay, I'm not a stand-up anymore, or or there's so many stand-ups. There, you know, I live in Boston. There's literally everybody who wrote for television in the early '90s and the '80s were were white guys who came out of the Boston comedy scene. We've always had this abundance of riches of comedy. But when did you say I want to do something different? Well, I think it had to be around probably around 2000 or something. I just felt the um the current you know it's like i you know i've been i've been able to do like feature and sometimes headlining but more and more people were coming in the pay was decreasing and it was like uh do i want to start trying to fight for 50 dollar feature sets do i want to end up being an open act you know it's like i'm like no i gotta do something different this is something like what i learned when i was dealing with uh working with the marketing people at bell labs is like it's like you know uh you have to be the best uh you have to be or the cheapest or you got to be different and i was just like i i've got to figure out something as i get older that works with my persona that uh, you know just lines it up better and you know because what i took i was good as like, you know, as, you know, doing regular canned up talking about like my daughter and my life and everything in those series of that. But there was like thousands of people that were doing that, that were good, you know? So it's like, I didn't stand out. It's like, I have to come up with something different. I love doing this. I want to keep doing this. I need to come up with something that resonates with me. And this is really the first time when I work this and evolve this character that gives a presentation, something that just totally resonates with my personality, with my background. And, and that's a thing where, you know, good things happen as a comedian when you've got that, that resonance where you just hit it, that something just fits you when you're up there, I think. Yeah. Okay, I'll stop talking. No, Did no, you, I, no, please. I'm, I'm, I'm on just head. trying to figure out what 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 can fit Jacques because he's been doing it for some time, <laughs> and it's it's all uh, right. But I, I'm looking at Joe's notes. Oh, quit! Uh, that that was Joe's <laughs> last note from last. But did you actually do corporate gigs as a comic that this character might have developed from? Did you get pulled aside? I gotta ask. Did you get pulled aside by HR people and say, hey? you can't say this hey we're trying to do this because you mentioned that in the set did any of the stuff that in your set come from having done corporate gigs uh yeah because uh well i i, I think then i think probably there was a, a unh gig I did like kind of like five six years ago where i went up and um uh and it was it was awesome i have to say so mm. there's everybody in the audience is like 18 19 years old and uh and i just see a sea of, of this people like <laughs> taking pictures of like what i what i got up there and, uh, and then there was a line of these kids telling me how much they enjoyed it but then i get this feedback where some people thought you were being sexist about this or about that and that and, it, and that was something where like okay 
uh, I want to keep doing those bits, but I'm going to address those uh, uh, questions, you know, um, and just like say, so I'll say something that could be taken as being sexist or offensive or something like that, but then bring it back. So like I'm saying, apologize for it. So I've already done that before they could complain about it. You know? Right, right, right. Like it was a it was a learning opportunity, and um, yeah. But I, so um, Nikki Nikki wrote me a note here. Uh, she said there was well, the, you know the the thing where I do about the multi generational. Uh, yes, thing? that was actually a gig where they asked me. These people asked me specifically to address that. The weird thing is, like when I did it, they it it kind of sucked. It just bombed, you know. Then I went on to do it some more, and all of a sudden, it's like it's like my favorite bit. Well, yeah, yeah, like like it some, something clicked. It's like you say the same joke, but you change like the entry point or the exit point sometimes, and it's you know there's something there. But it's uh, but have uh, have do you also do the cruise stuff and all that? I I have not done the cruise ships, man. Somebody's got to hook me up with that, okay? It's funny because most of the people that the headliners that, that I've, I've I've met and talked with and, and so many of them through Greg, that's their thing. They're like a once a month. You, you see them six months later and they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> and, and I think I think one one comic we had said it best. The cruises are awesome. You don't get paid to do comedy on the cruises. You get paid to travel because the travel to them is so laborious. Like uh, there's one there's one comment, uh, Jim Colton. He does lots of cruises out of Alaska. So he has to fly to like a no-name airport in like Iowa and take a Buddy Holly special, <laughs> you know, up there. Or like he, he went from point A to point B. He's at point B and they're like, oh, there's something wrong with that boat. But the cruise line is now sending you to Puerto Rico, and, and then he flew to Port, then he flew to Miami, and then took a Buddy Holly special from that over, and it was like two plus days of traveling before he got to the boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was some, some years ago, some I was like, you know, talking to some other comics, and they were talking about somebody who was, did a cruise ship, but it's like apparently he was like he was too dirty, so they decided to kick him off, and uh, you know, so helicopter. Came over, brought a replacement comic in, and uh, to drop off the new comic and pick up the comic that was being kicked off. And all I could picture was the two comics kind of crouching down under the, <laughs> and you know, the guy coming off the the helicopter going like, "Well, how are they?" And he goes, hey, they're a little tight." Okay. <laughs> oh, that's that. That is fun. And and so, how much do you do road shows? How much are you on the road a year? And is this is this at this point in your life a job, a glorified hobby? Do you still have passion for it? Where where, where do you fall in in the, in the how much of your life is being a performance artist? Well, I I want it to be more of my life right now because uh, my engineering company is sort of like in a plateau where I don't need to deal with it. I'm collecting social security now. I've got this wife that's got an awesome job. Um, so uh, I can just kind of focus more on this now. And I want to just make this more of my life, but I don't want it to like take over my life. You know, I want to ride my bicycle and stuff like that. But uh, what, what, What's that great? Uh, I had a young man line. I found a great labor saving device. Rich old ladies. <laughs> you know? so, uh, no, so 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 you still are in the in the game. You still have the company. Yes, I, I mean I I designed this, this system uh, uh, for well the company used to be my my brother in law's company because um, they not doing any more telecom. But he was like, hey, I need some ideas for assisted living technology. And like, hey, I can come up with something. So I designed the hardware, I designed the software. I got a company that does the manufacturing and then they gave me a big, oh, you got one. Oh yeah, I actually have one. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna show us an example. A partially built one anyway, uh, circuit board. That uh, This is where the little uh, computer chip would be that runs things on there, but it's got an ethernet uh, thingy. And uh, yeah, I, I 
design shit like this and actually enjoy doing it. That's um, fantastic. <laughs> nice. If my light bulb goes out, I sit in the dark waiting for the wife to get home because I will, and Joe will back me up on this, I will break the time-space continuum because I'm what's known as uh, mechanically declined, or as my dad would say, a moron. So, <laughs> the only circuit board that I'm mostly familiar with is fixing old Nintendo and Atari circuits. Like when something goes bad, I can replace a voltage regulator, but that's about the extent of my ability. Well, that's a, that's a, a, you know, that's a way ahead of a lot of people. That's how, that's what I tell Jacques when he makes fun of me. <laughs> oh man. So that's, so, so this is, this is, this is really a fascinating thing. Um, I didn't, I, I was going to ask what, when did you stop doing the day job? And I guess the answer is uh, never, you haven't. A born engineer. I started like playing with the electrical things when I was five years old. I've always loved playing with electronics. I got this book that my so I've got a, a, a German born grandmother. She's born in 1880 and she saw when I was 10 years old, I kept taking this one book out of the library, this you know, electronics book and everything. And she decided I should have a copy of it. So I have a copy of this book she bought me when I was 10 years old. 10 wow. years old. This stuff, and of course, it's very German. It says to Brian from Grandma, no love or anything. Oh, <laughs> I, I can just German. feel the feel the emotion just dripping, <laughs> you know, dripping, dripping. Uh, no, it's funny because I saw Robin Williams. I saw a clip of Robin Williams recently. He was he was on a German. Um, talk show and they're like you know why do you think germans have such a bad reputation of like not being funny and he's like you ever think you maybe killed the funny people <laughs> so uh, no and, and like well, <laughs> i uh no it's it's the whole like i said like with my my, my dad he has that whole beautiful mind thing he can't turn that thing off like you know like like the athlete who has to stay in the game somehow an artist i mean the thing is like yeah. Things like this, it is art too. And yes. I told people like, you know, when I design some wonderful code and I put it in this thing, it's like, you know, making like a Mona Lisa and then you bury it in the ground and nobody can see it. But you know it's there. I know, but <laughs> that's why I have to do comedy. I want people to see my Mona Lisa. And so, so how often are you getting out now? And do you have an agent? Do you have a book or do you, I mean, how, how do people find and say, Hey, come to do our corporate gig here in Iowa. I don't have any of that. I, okay. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like, I like, all right, I got to get this shit going. Cause I've been sort of like under the radar for a long time. Just, just doing like maybe you know, a show or two a month, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, occasional corporate gig finds me, but I, I would love to step it up. I just, but I think it's like, I got to make that a higher priority. I wonder life. if you can book a corporate gig at a talent agency and, so, <laughs> and then parlay that into something else. And, and I asked, I asked at the show and I think you thought I was kidding. It's like, why don't you have a book? of these slides that artwork is so i mean it's just brilliant in its simplicity and it's like it, it was like i said when, when you would change a slide and you would have a joke and it would work but then you would double down on a, on a on an absurd right turn with just a stick figure doing something off to the side and it just slays i mean it's the same picture you put the overlay on it and it's like oh man and anybody who came to the show it's hard to say, okay, trust me, it was really funny. He had the slide thing. But if somebody's like, oh, and then he did this, I, I would. I would have 100% bought a copy of the book, and I would have said, hey, Joe, look at that over there, and I would have bought a copy for him and given it to him for Christmas. I would have 100% have walked out of there with two books of your artwork that night. There's so many things I should do. <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, who manufactures the overhead projector? Because, A, I'm surprised that they're still around. I'm, I, I presume you didn't get that off Craigslist that was, you know, made 20 it's years a, ago. It's an early thing that I got at at, uh, at Staples many years ago. Okay. Um, but the thing is, if anything goes wrong with it, I can fix it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was wondering yeah, right. if there's like, uh, if they still make the overhead projectors, maybe you could also book a corporate gig with the 
manufacturer of the overhead projector and have them have some synergy there. I actually probably they don't make them anymore. But anyway, I have uh, adapted to the modern technology because I have like a document camera uh, that I use, but oh. I put a light board under it. So like I've done gigs with like, you know, big room with four or 500 people and they got the two screens there. So I have to adapt to that. And uh, I've done that with the, the, you know, the light board and the um, document camera. And so it, washes out so on the big screens it looks like two giant overhead projectors oh that's brilliant because i do i love when you're like you can't do this on powerpoint (laughs) you know that's such a you go ahead and laugh at this like handheld little calculator but it uh it can't it can do what uh no because it's like i you know because i'm thinking out loud as we're talking i did uh uh uh, Smitty's up up in uh, there's four of them. They're like chunkies. There's chunky theaters in New Hampshire, and then there's four Smitty's, which are those movie theaters that they have like full service like restaurant. Right. And it's like, yeah, the the big screen is right there. It, it's already right there. You know, I, I don't know how they would you know be able to port it over if you need somebody in the back to flip it. But yeah, your the whole setup was just great. You know. Um, I, I I would that that that's a show. Like I said, it's there are so many stand up comics. Like right now tonight, within an hour radius. I mean, we got you know from an hour from here, we got some nice clubs in Worcester, endless clubs in Boston. You know, Lowell has a scene. Manchester, there's headliners everywhere, but they're all stand ups. There's nobody doing this, and there's very few people. It's like you know, you, you it's hard to say. You know, like with comedy, it's like I love Steve Bjork, uh, but you could say he's in the Tom Papa, uh, Jim Gaffigan category, and you love a Mike Katrobus, and you say, well, he's in a Bill Burr, he's in this kind of, you know, category. You, 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 like you already said, you know, uh, uh, Stephen Wright, he was a stand-up, but it was a completely different kind of stand-up. There's very few acts and that's what you are you're not a comedian you're an act you know like like an old almost like a vaudeville like i said it's a live sketch it's a one-man show it's it's just so different than anything else that you can go to in town tonight well what are the what are the issues i have with american comedy because over in the uk they're like all kinds of things it's like you like i would i've gone to the uh edinburgh fringe festival and perform there and they love me there because they love stuff that's different different like don't have this thing that comedy isn't just a guy in a microphone and that's a thing in the united states and that's why i don't work i don't get to work at a lot of clubs because they're all like no we want a guy with a microphone it's like you got this no this is too complicated we want a guy with a microphone so they like they don't put me on their shows because they think that's the only thing that'll work. And it's a pain in the ass and uh, drives me crazy. And one of the few places that has been a great place for me to work has been the comedy studio in Cambridge because it like there it's like funny is funny. Different is good. Right. You know, and so many of the bookers just like are just like, no. Right. They don't I get want it. A guy with a microphone. Don't confuse me. Well, and, and the thing is, it, it, it all the openers that night were comics. So it's not like you have to be on a show where it's different acts like, you know, yeah. but that's that's why it worked. But you can't go on after you because <laughs> you're not following that up. Um, no, it, it is. It's like it's interesting that the other places, you know, they do. It's 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 like that where, you know, um, uh, music is the same way in Europe and in, in England. They don't have tons of classic rock stations, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why the the festivals, like the big festivals, do so huge over there. Because Led Zeppelin's great, but people don't want four stations in the same market playing Led Zeppelin after a Boston song after an Aerosmith song, and and comedy's the same way. Uh, yeah, but you and it's tough because you're you're at you're at that point where it's like 
yeah, do you do you relearn the algorithm of social media? Do you start a YouTube channel and all this stuff? Do you or you know, I, I don't know the process because I, I'm only been in a year and these are all the things people are telling me, oh, you need to do X, Y, and C. And I'm like, yeah, I really do, but uh, do I do I really need to do it? Because <laughs> I only want I I only want to do it a few times a month. I don't want this, you know, because my kids are still young and I don't want this to be a I'm going here this week and going here this weekend. Not that anyone's asking before you say it, Joe. Uh, but yeah, you're, you, what, you're, what you're doing is just so different and just it's special, you know, and it's like it's not prop comedy. I wouldn't put it in that category either. It's just a performance artist, a comedian. Uh, it is. And and I don't know a place that it wouldn't work because off my head, I'm trying to think, would this work here? Would it work at Nick's? I don't know a room it wouldn't work. The weird thing is like I've done things at like Elks clubs and I've done, in, you know, things like that and it crushed you know but you know because because if you're in my age if you're you know in joe's age or if you're college kids we've all sat through lectures that are run by that character mm -hmm. you know but but the character that you start with it but as it as the absurdity grows and grows and grows it, it's like so it's a very relatable thing whether you're a college professor to college kids or that thing or or somebody who's been in these every corporate meeting you can possibly have. I've virtually been exposed to some type of like inspirational thing by right. now. <laughs> right. The whole motivational speaker. And then, you know, I, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like more corporate comic, it's like the mock motivational speaker. It is. It's a show where, like I said, I go out if depending on what my kids have going on or management why wife like tonight i have a free night so i'm debating do i go see this show here or this show there because i like going out and seeing live stuff but you're one of those people it's like oh he's doing chunkies in manchester all right that's 45 minutes that's definitely worth the drive to see that show so we have to figure out how to get you on cruises <laughs> and, and and maybe we got to, you know, uh, like Joe said, maybe we got to get, you know, call a friend over at CAA and say, hey, what's your next corporate function? Because I got the motivational speaker. Are our colleges more of a, a possibility as far as booking is concerned? Clearly, college age kids really do like my stuff. You know, that was like the thing about like when I. Uh, well, the comedy studio is in a hiatus until it reopens, uh, but uh, those audience were all very like younger college age and they loved the hell out of what I was doing, you know. Do you tweak it a little bit if like it's a younger, if it's a younger demographic, do you change it to, you know, to the punchline being, okay, here's the deal. Go back to grad school. It's going to suck. Put off life sucking for a couple of years. And then this will all apply to you. But do you, do you mix and match if you got an older demographic? If you know the room's going to be over 40 or under 40, do you, do you change it up at all? I, I guess I decide whether they're going to mention Nixon or not. <laughs> <laughs> I think Nixon's an evergreen. You know, he... Yeah. he... <laughs> He applies to all ages. You know, seriously, Brian, thank you for spending time talking with us because the only thing I like more than going and seeing comedy is talking to comics. I, I, I really do. I like talking everything about it. This has been so interesting. And everybody's path is different, but I, I really, the fact that you're still grinding away in the engineering world is absolutely, you know, fascinating. No, well, you know, you like, you like it. Like the fact that you have this passion. <laughs> But thank you. No, this was a lot of fun. And I, I really enjoyed this, really enjoyed doing this show with you up at Lowell there. And I hope we get to do some more. Joe, you got any, you got any parting thoughts there, Joe? Uh, no, it was a pleasure meeting Brian and uh, your wife, Nikki. And in the background, she's still there. Yes. Hi. It was nice <laughs> meeting you. you. I take it your son won't be an engineer since he grabbed the apple from the <laughs> bottom of the pile and no, didn't know. he will not. He will not be an engineer. <laughs> Uh, he, he's gonna be he's already kicking ass so uh you know business marketing guy i've yeah. seen there right he Pretty can just cool. right he'll he'll be you know My hiring the engineer is one of the funniest people i know but she's like yeah. likes to numbers and stuff like that good but i hang around with her and she cracks me up more than anybody Except for you guys i know I, it, it is true it's like every comic i talk to will tell you oh 
the funniest guy I know is, is my friend Paul. You know, I mean, he he works on Guitar Center. You're never going to hear about him, but he is really, really every time he slays. Uh, so, again, this has been fantastic. We will post. Uh, what are your socials? Do you have a, Do you have an Instagram? Are you active on any of them? Well, I have them. Uh, active is kind of a, a word that may not be quite the right one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any dormant uh, social media <laughs> accounts that you want to promote? Uh, yeah, MySpace. I mean, your MySpace. Okay, <laughs> uh, guys. So I, I I will post all this and and we'll let you go enjoy the rest of your weekend. But seriously, Brian, thank oh, you so LinkedIn, very much. LinkedIn. I have an account on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Actually, for what you do, LinkedIn might make more sense than Instagram. And a Staples account. I'm sure you have a Staples account. <laughs> yeah. BC Longwell, Brian Longwell, how, it's all how, easy to find. How to be successful. Brian, thank you so much. How to uh, be, thank you. Uh, successful. Now, the first question you have to ask yourself is why do you want to be uh, successful? Now, it turns out that for men, the primary reason why men want to be successful, the data clearly shows that they, they do, uh, yeah, why, why do you want to be successful? Uh, <laughs> Uh, it turns out for men, the primary reason why men want to be successful is, uh, is, is to get chicks. That's really uh, what it, it comes down to. Now, I do a lot of corporate functions, and at corporate functions, I can't get up and say, get chicks. So I have a corporate version. Why do men want to be successful? The corporate version is they want to, in order to increase DNA propagation opportunities. <laughs> or DPO, and that's a memo apologizing for the speaker that said, get chicks. Now, why do they want to be successful after that? They want to be successful in order to reach a higher level of mansplaining, a higher level of mansplaining, which is to pontificate, is where men ultimately uh, want to get. Now, you're wondering, uh, for women, now for women, why do women uh, want to be successful for women? Um, I, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> now, it's not that I don't care or I don't think it's relevant. It's just that I know if I got into this subject, I would get into trouble. Yeah. 
Utah. Wow. It's the crazy sounds of Beyond It.